I still remember my wedding day. It's probably the best day of my life so far. You know, October 24th, 2015. You know, everything went off without a hitch, just as we had planned. We got together to celebrate with everybody we loved. We had an awesome band. We even found out after we got back from our honeymoon that the cops had shown up because of a noise disturbance, but because of our amazing wedding coordinator, nobody knew. And I even got this cool ring. You know, I actually, I bought it on the internet for about $35. And so it's just this little round piece of titanium. But the ring isn't, it isn't really about the ring, right? Now you remember the words. Receive this ring is a sign of my wedded love and faithfulness. You see, it's not about the ring, but about what the ring says. And anyone who sees it knows what it means. It's more than just a stylish accessory. It's a sign of the greatest thing about the greatest day, that I married the love of my life. This morning, we are finishing the series uh, that we have been in this January called What Child Is This? And we're doing that this morning by looking at Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John. Now, this series has been about exploring the early stories and experiences from Jesus' life and ministry. And as we've done that, we've asked the question, what child is this? Who is this Jesus? And what do these early stories say to us about all of the ministry that is to come? His teachings, his actions. So today we're looking at Jesus's first miracle in the Gospel of John, turning water into wine at a wedding feast. But what's interesting about that is that the text is very clear that this isn't just a miracle. It's a sign. It's not about the water and the wine. But it's about what that sign is pointing to. And the text itself tells us. It says that it reveals the glory of God. And it inspires faith. You see, in the Gospels, and especially in John, a miracle is never just a miracle. A miracle is a sign. It's meant to communicate something important to us about Jesus. You know, it's actually an idea that John, the Gospel writer, uses to bookend his entire account of the life of Jesus. In the text today, we see verse 11. The first of Jesus' signs, through which he revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. And then again, you see it at the end of the gospel. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs 
in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. But these are written down that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, each sign reveals something about Jesus and inspires faith. So what is this sign today? Jesus turning water into wine. Tell us about him. You say, it says that it reveals Jesus' glory. And I think it does so in two ways. The first is the obvious one. That Jesus has the power to perform miracles. His glory is revealed in the fact that he has this power. He performs miracles and this shows his authority. You see, his miracles validate his teaching by showing him to be someone who has, who both speaks and works with power and authority. But there's another way in which Jesus is glorified in this sign. And it's arguably the more important one. Even greater than the actual sign itself. It's the message, the deep, deep truth that this sign points towards. You see, at face value, Jesus is turning water into wine. It's his power on display. And in the context of this wedding feast, I'm sure it was appreciated. Because to run out of wine at a wedding feast was a major embarrassment. His hospitality was a cultural value for the Jews. And to fail at hospitality on a wedding day, it would have been horrifying for this family. And so on the one hand, this miracle of Jesus remedies that. But I don't really think that the reason uh, for this sign, the reason this sign inspires faith even to this day is because of Jesus's concern for the social standing of a first century Jewish family. So what is this sign pointing us towards? That's actually kind of easy to miss. You know, what does Jesus have these servants fill? It says six massive stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, were used for the purpose of Jewish ceremonial washing. You see, the Jewish people had this idea that today we tend to find a little bit strange. Ceremonial cleanliness. You know, it's this idea that there were things which the people of God should do uh, so that they are prepared to be in his presence and worship and to live well in community together. And so this idea, this idea of cleanliness sits uneasy for many contemporary readers of the Bible. You know, many people who want to bring up issues that they have with the Bible, they go straight for everybody's favorite book. Leviticus, you know, it's the book where the cleanliness standards are laid out. But here's the thing that I think many uh, don't understand, is that 
Cleanliness in the Old Testament. It was not a question of morality, but of identity. And we have lots of parallels in today's culture, but they're so ingrained in the way that we live that we don't even necessarily recognize them for what they are. I want to give a few examples. Work clothes. We all know that in the respective places that we work, there are ways that it is and is not appropriate to dress for work. You know, clothes are actually a really interesting way uh, to develop and communicate something about a culture. You know, the thing is, you know, there's this, uh, there's this verse in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 19, that is often cited as a reason uh, why the Bible is irrelevant and outdated. You've probably heard it before. It says this, do not wear clothing made of two different types of material. It seems outdated and irrelevant, right? Interestingly enough, the Jewish people of that day were surrounded by people of different cultures, uh, and it's been shown that some of the uh, pagan religious garb were robes made of multiple kinds of materials. And so this is a cultural way for the Jews to show themselves as separate. You know, have you ever noticed how different social groups tend to dress alike? Just go to a Dodgers game. You see somebody with that blue shirt or that jersey or that hat on and you know they're on your team. Or, or ways of eating. The Jews had kosher food laws. And a shared way of eating does a lot to shape a group's identity. Just talk to a vegan. Another, one last example. The things we consider good manners. The things that are polite. You know, they're not issues of morality. Because what is polite in one culture may not be polite in another. But you know that if you went to a restaurant that was supposed to be really nice, and the table wasn't set correctly, you'd be suspicious. You see, to be clean for the Jews meant that someone revered the statutes of God and they took seriously what it meant to be a part of this community. And part of this cleanliness meant ceremonial washing. And at a wedding banquet, there would have been a bunch of people who needed clean water to ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. And so let's look back at our text today. Because the symbolism is fascinating here. You see, Jesus takes these ceremonial washing jars, these jars which would have been filled with water uh, for people coming to the feast to clean their hands. They fill them to the brim. 
And Jesus transforms that content into wine. You see in this miraculous, symbolic gesture, he is making way for a new way for God's people to be made clean. You see, in Jesus, God is doing something new. And Jesus took what would have been used for the cleansing of God's people, a way for them to be set apart for his purposes. And in this miracle, he transforms it into wine. And this ultimately points us towards the way which Jesus would ultimately make us clean through his blood shed on the cross, which we take at his table in the wine of communion for the forgiveness of sins. It's not an outward cleanliness, but an inward one. To be cleansed from sin and from the guilt of sin. In this sign, Jesus is showing that there is a new way for God's people to be made clean, a new identity for his people in Christ. Now we would ultimately see that this is done on the cross through the shedding of his blood, which washes us clean from our sin and guilt and shame so that we can be presented as holy and blameless before a holy God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' ministry begins with a miracle, a sign, pointing towards a ministry through which God would purify his people. He would set them apart for his holy purposes, to be a people who live not by rigid adherence to rules and rituals, but a people who live by the Spirit and by faith. That we would be a people not made clean by our adherence to laws, but by believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what the scriptures say he did, and that the words he taught are true and that they are for the thriving, the abundant life of his people. That we would believe and that in doing so, we would have life in his name. That Jesus would clear out the old to make way for something new, something better, water into wine. You see this sign, it reveals Jesus's glory to inspire faith. Because salvation is by grace through faith. He offers abundant life through faith. Eternal life through faith, and a new identity through faith, that being washed clean by the blood of Christ shed on the cross, Jesus is setting apart for himself his people, made new. And think about this. Jesus didn't just turn some water into some wine. Think about it. Six jars, 20 to 30 gallons each 
I'll do the math for you in case you're trying to do it in your head right now. 500 bottles of wine. Now, I don't care how big your wedding is, 500 bottles of wine after they already finished the first round. That is more than enough, right? You see what Jesus is doing, he's doing in abundance. The grace he offers is bottomless and the life that he offers is abundant and eternal. So let's revisit the question one more time. What child is this? Who is this Jesus? He's the one who is taking the old and making it into something new. The one whose abundant love and grace is available to all people through faith. And when we gather together around his table as his holy people, when we come and eat and drink, we can know that what he has to offer is for us. It's for you and for me. That we have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. The blood that he shed for you. And you could know that there is no end to the bottomless grace of Christ. There is no end to the abundant life that is ours through faith. And if you have any question about that, there is a sign that you can look to and know with certainty. You, know, you can see the ring on my finger and you know what it means. And you can see the bread and wine on Christ's table and know what that means. That his body was given for you. That his blood was shed for you. And that you are his. When you hold it in your hands, you can believe and you can trust that what he has done, he has done for you. Amen.